Thank you, worship team. I'm going to ask Pastor Dean to come on and just share whatever's on his heart. Did you enjoy that last night? Amen. Good stuff. If you missed it, you can pick up the recordings there on our, our webpage and also on the Facebook. But I, I know he's got something ready for us tonight. So come ahead, Pastor. Thank you, brother. Glory. I believe it's 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 22 with the scripture. And Samuel said, as the Lord is great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices, as in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to hearken than the fat of rams. What's that scripture saying? The highest form of worship that you can give God is obedience. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Sacrifice was how they worshiped in that day and time. They brought their animals to the side door of the temple and offered them a sacrifice. But God said and through Samuel that to obey the voice of God, whatever he leads you to do, you follow him, the highest form of worship that you can give God. So good to see everybody out on this Saturday night. Amen. Amen. It's just good to worship him. I'm going to say something real quick before I preach tonight. Miss Peggy and I have done a packet of CDs, if you still have a CD player. And um, it's a four packet in there. You know, when I first started in this thing several years ago, it was um, eight tracks. And uh, then it went to cassettes for 100 years. And then it changed to CDs, and now it's gone to... Uh, I clouds and you clouds and all the other clouds is there and and uh, internet and all that and I'm kind of behind on times fact is if it don't have a rope to pull and a choke on it I can't get it started <laughs> that's that's true I, I struggle with a lot of this new stuff that we've got today but I thank God for it I think it's a tool that will reach the world if it's in the right hands but anyway there's four messages that we have preached in camp meetings one is about heaven it's not a dream I had I've just gone through the scripture extract, extracted the scriptures about what life is like when this life is over when I was a kid coming up, my dad was a minister, my mom was a minister. I've been in this all of my life. They preached and said, when we get there, we're gonna bow down and worship him a thousand years. And that terrified me. It terrified me, because I got this mental picture of being on my knees with my head to the ground for a thousand years. And I couldn't sit still for two hours. And I'm thinking, God, I don't have a dog's chance in heaven. There's just no way. But in study, I found out our worship is going to be living with him. The word of God says we'll even plant vineyards with our hands. We will build and we will sow. And not only that, it said your offspring or your family will be with you. Now, I know there's a lot of people that... We'll push that aside. And, and I guess if I knew some of their family, I might do that too. But, but I'm, I'm looking forward to spending eternity with my family. And if you don't believe there'll be family in heaven, let me challenge you. When you start reading in the book of Genesis, going through the Bible, start underlining these words. Every time he made this statement, and the Lord gathered them unto their people. It will blow your mind how many times that's repeated in the Word of God. 
Then Moses heard God say, come up in the mountain and I'm going to gather you unto your people as I gathered Aaron unto his people. And Moses and Aaron were brothers and God distinguished the family unit there. So heaven is we are going to assume another life. There's a message in there on hell. You don't hear a lot about hell today, but hell is as real as heaven is. I divide up in that the difference between hell and the lake of fire. They're two different places. Hell will be cast into the lake of fire. There's one in there on depression. We don't talk about depression because it's not real spiritual, but whether it's spiritual or not, it's real. And a lot of people are going through it in the church world, and God gives us word on how to deal with that. And the fourth one is on forgiving, forgiving the Bible way. What I do with that passage as a scripture is divide the difference between forgiving and trust. When you put them together, in some cases, it almost makes it virtually impossible to forgive. But when you pull it apart, forgiveness is different than trust. I can forgive someone without trusting them. I can forgive someone without going on vacation with them. <laughs> I can forgive someone without having them to my house for an evening meal. How's that? Because you can forgive all by yourself, but it takes at least two to build trust. You cannot build trust by yourself. And those messages are there in that packet outside. Well, today was just a day of glory. I just started early this morning, woke up very early this morning and just praying and seeking God. And I felt like this was the direction God wanted us to go tonight. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 32. Chapter 32, the book of Deuteronomy, verse 31. It's a little short verse that we're going to read tonight and go from there and take it through the counts of the Scripture. Would you honor the reading of the Scripture tonight by standing? I was asked a question, why do you have people to stand? I started that about 45 years ago, having people to stand when I read the Word of God. And for this reason... There is no telling how many times today God's name has been blasphemed. There's no telling how many times today God's word has been dragged through the mire by someone, some people, some group, some whatever. But tonight we gather together to honor the word of God, the very truth of the living God. The Bible said in Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 31, he said, for their rock is not as our rock, even our enemies themselves being judges. Wow, I like that. Five times in the chapter that, uh, that I'm reading from, chapter 32, the Lord is referred to as a rock. Two times in that chapter, a false rock is Addressed, And one of those times is in this scripture, verse 31. For their rock, that's the false rock. He's talking and addressing the enemy. Their rock is not as our rock. And our enemies know that. That's what he said. Our enemies being judges over that. Let us pray. Fathers, we come to you tonight. 
I bless you from the very depths of my heart. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege you have afforded us tonight to be back together just to sing your praises. Lord, to from our hearts through our lips adore you and bless your holy name. I pray tonight that this message that you have challenged our heart with tonight will be directed by the Spirit of God. You will speak deep into our hearts tonight. Bring to light areas that you want to touch in our life. Move powerfully, I pray in Jesus' name. And we thank you, Lord. Praise God, praise God. You may be seated tonight. I'd, I'd like to preach along the title this afternoon, The Rod and the Rock. Amen. We're going to bring them together. Now, I'm sure some of you already ahead of me at that point, The Rod and the Rock. Here in the book of Deuteronomy, the Bible addresses something that is addressed all the way through the word of God, that our Lord is as a rock. He is a rock. But there is a reason why that this chapter addresses the Lord in this way, that their rock is not as our rock. The rock that he was referring to was the one that Moses smote with the rod in the desert. That rock, the Bible teaches us, was in the calling of God and showed up in Exodus chapter number 17. God sent manna in chapter 16 of the book of Exodus, which represented Jesus Christ as life. Six times in the book of St. John chapter 6, Jesus is referred to as the bread of life. But in Exodus chapter 16, the manna that came from heaven to feed the Israelite people sustained them as a staple. Chapter 17 of the book of Exodus, the rock showed up. You know the story there. After Moses and the children of Israel had crossed the Red Sea and was over in the desert land, they had gone, this was the third place that they had camped out. Two places had water and the third place was the wilderness. There was no water there. There was probably close to three million in, in number at that particular time. Now, I don't have time to prove that tonight, but you can prove that in Exodus chapter 12 if you want to study that when you go home. There was probably at least three million Jews out there following Moses in the wilderness. It takes more than five gallon of water to water that bunch of people besides their flocks and their children and every need that they had. And they're following Moses in the wilderness and they're following him by the order of God. Now, what I wanted to go back tonight and just leave the rock right there and we'll join up with that rock in a moment of time. I'd like for you to go back with me, if you will, Exodus chapter number four and verse number two. Exodus chapter four and verse number two. It's where Moses is standing in front of the burning bush. He's standing there. God speaks to him out of the bush. Then the Lord said in Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 2, what is that in your hand? Moses, what are you carrying, buddy? And he said, I'm carrying a rod. I've got a rod in my hand. Now let me address the rod for a moment of time because it shows up a lot in the Old Testament. Psalms 23, David addresses it as the rod 
rod and the staff that comfort me. But here's what it represented. Every Jewish boy was either given a rod by his father, his uncle, someone close to him. It was a weapon that they used. It was also something that they carved the blessings of God in and on. Every rod, and you can see this rod here tonight. I've got some carvings in this that remind me of special occasions of what God has done for me in my lifetime. The rod was used before the Bible was ever written, before it ever came out. Jewish boy would take the rod that was given to him and he would display it by simply uh, carving in that things that God had done for them. I'm sure when the Red Sea opened up, there was a lot of men that said, Mama, get that butcher knife out of your purse and let me put a notch here in this rod about the Red Sea opening up. And from time to time, whenever they used the rod, they would look down at that and it was a faith builder to them to remind them of the blessings of God that God had bestowed on their lives. So when David said, thy rod and thy staff comfort me, he simply saying, I look at all the blessings of God and in my discouragement and in my weakness and in my failure, it reminds me of the greatness of the living God. Nowadays, we don't carry a rod. We have a Bible that reminds us of the assurance of God's blessings and his glory to us on a day-by-day -day basis. So Moses is front of the burning bush and God said to him watch that in your hand now a rod would last them for years and years and years this old dry stick here I don't know how old it is it is a very old stick but you keep something like this out of the weather and it will last for years and years and years. And so they, most generally, the men, Jewish men, carried a rod in their life most of their life. It was something to remind them of the goodness of the fellowship of God that God had been so real to them through the years of time. So Moses is in front of the bush and God had already spoken to him in such a decree that he'd taken his shoes off. He's on holy ground and then he put his hand inside his coat, pulled it out, leprosy, put it back in and God had made him whole again. So Moses had already known the power of God and the direction of God. But now then after God had assured him that he was really God that was in the bush, he said to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt land and bring my people forth out of Egypt and Moses said God they're not going to listen to me they're not going to listen to me at all and verse number two let me read it again Exodus 4 and verse number two God said to Moses watch that in your hand and he said a rod the next thing God said throw it on the ground and Moses threw it on the ground and when he did God touched it and it become a serpent why did it become a serpent God has a plan for that 
that rod in the future. Understand that. The serpent was what showed up in the Garden of Eden that first brought Adam and Eve to a point of failure, their failure to disobey God. So that's what the serpent was all about. He could have turned it to a squirrel. He could have turned it to a rabbit or even a Shetland pony if that's what God wanted to do. But he turned it to a serpent because God has a plan for that rod. Now, watch this. Then God said, pick it up. And Moses picked it up by the tail. What a smart man he is. He picked it up by the tail. And when he did, it turned back to a rod. Now I want to show you something that's very powerful in this chapter. Exodus chapter 4 and verse number 20. Look at verse number 20 and listen to what God said in this passage of scripture here. Then I want to show you something from the word of God. Moses is on his way back to Egypt land. Moses took his wife, his two sons, set them up on an ass. He returned to the land of Egypt. But look at this. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. Verse 2, it's Moses' rod. Verse 20, 18 verses later, it's called the rod of God. Same rod, what is the difference? God touched it, God touched it. And when he touched it now, he has a right to that rod that's there. What is that verse of Scripture saying to us? Anytime you let God touch something in your life, now God, can I say it like this in text? God now has a dog in that fight, all right? He's now got an interest in that. When you let God touch something in your life, he now's got a dog in that fight. Do you understand that tonight? When you let him touch your marriage, when you let him touch your life, when you let him touch your children, when you let him touch your sickness, when you let him touch your fear, now God's got an interest in that. And when God's got an interest, interest in that, things start happening and things start taking place. Wow. Boy, when I said that, I hit on a note that I need to expound on a little bit longer. Listen to me, mom and dad, and hear me tonight. You remember years ago when your babies were born? One of the first things that happened, you called the pastor and said, let's set up a dedication time. I want to dedicate my son and my daughter to God. Wow, now watch this, Mom, and listen to me because this is going to bless your heart. Understand this. You set it up. The time was made. Oh, you invited relatives from everywhere. They come to see the dedication of your son or your daughter. That Sunday, you marched down an aisle somewhere, and you brought that son, that daughter down and before a congregation of people the minister of God either took that child or ladies hand on that child and prayed this prayer God we give them back to you I pray you would bless them and everything they do everything they say wherever they go you bless them Lord you be near them and you touch them this is going somewhere tonight I feel this in my spirit but now mama listen to me daddy they're grown they're on their own they would come up in Sunday school they went through the children's church program they went through the youth program but now 
now they're grown, they're on their own, they're married, they've got kids of their own, and they don't give God the time of day. And mama, that eats you alive. Daddy, that eats you alive. You're saying, where did I miss it? Where did I go wrong? Let me encourage you with something tonight. You understand? You let God touch them. Many, many years ago, I come by to remind you, mama, that you let God touch them a long time ago. Now God's got a dog in that fight. Do you, do you understand that? When the time they were in the beginner's class, God spoke into their life. When they were in the youth program and they come back from camp one time on fire for God, God hasn't forgot that. He hasn't forgot that. They may be clear on the other side of the United States or out of the country, but while you're worried about them, God's sitting on his throne and saying, hey, mama, I've got an interest in that boy. I've got an interest in that girl. I touched them because you let me touch them a long time ago. I'm about to take a detour right here and help somebody tonight. Let me, let me look this scripture up here because I want to show you how valuable your prayers are. Hang with me just a moment of time. Go to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 8. Now I want to show you something tonight. If you're praying for your children, you need to get in the Bible and underline these scriptures because they'll help you understand something from the Word of God. Revelation chapter 5 and verse number 8. Now watch this. The Bible said when he had taken the book, the four beasts, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors. Watch this. Full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. Oh, we're not done. Flip a page there, sis. Go to chapter 8. Put up verse 3 and verse number 4. Revelation chapter 8, verse number 3 and verse number 4. Look at this from the Word of God. Another angel came and stood at the altar, having a golden censer that was given unto him much incense, that he should offer the prayers of all saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne of God. And the smoke of the incense which came with the prayers of the saints. Are you looking at that with me? The prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Now go back to chapter 5 and verse 8. I just wanted to connect these like a puzzle tonight that will bless your heart. God said this in verse 8 of chapter 5 that God's got some golden vials in heaven full of odors which are the prayers of the saints. Now let me help you explain, explain that to you tonight. How many here uh, uh, used to plant a garden? Maybe I can say it like that. How many here has ever done any cannon before? You've done cannon? the green beans out of the garden. You've got them all out. You've got more than you can use. You put them in the jars. You cook them down. You pressure them, set them out on the cabinet. And as they cool, that little lid, a ping up there, and they are sealed. They are canned right there. Now, for you younger generation that don't have a clue what I just said, let me help you. What you're taught, what, what you understand, you got that buggy. You're pushing it down the grocery aisle. You come up there and you get that tin can of green beans, that tin 
can of corn, that tin can of hominy, that tin can, whatever it is. Do you understand? That wasn't in the field yesterday. Somebody canned that up for you, but it will last a long time. It was preserved to keep the food from running. Well, God does the same thing with your prayers. When you thought that he wasn't listening to you because you're not seeing anything accomplished, when you thought that God wasn't hearing what you was praying about, yet you've met all the conditions of prayer. He's gathering those prayers up and put them in golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And in God's time and in God's reason, he's going to uncork that bottle and pour those prayers of the saints out upon the golden altar, which is before the throne of God. And God is going to hear you praying. Why? Because you met the condition of prayer. But he's got to deal with their will because he put a will inside of them and he's going to deal with it in his time. Wow, I'll preach a whole message on that little thought that I just summed up there for you tonight. God bottles up the prayers of the saints. When you thought he wasn't hearing you, when you thought he wasn't listening to you, they come in for Thanksgiving and Christmas and they seem further from God than they ever been. But God sits on his throne and says, Hey, mama, <laughs> I got a dog in this fight. I got something going here. You hang on. I heard you praying. But in time, I'll hear you again. Some of you sitting here saying, Preacher, when will it ever happen? Mom and Dad, let me bless you tonight. Where in the scripture did you ever find you had to be alive to see it take place? I'm here to tell you when you're dead and gone, God still hears your prayers because he's bottled up the prayers of the saints and in God's time, he'll pour them out. Wow, let's get back to the rod. I just wanted you to, to understand that there's some hope there. Don't be discouraged because you're not seeing results. Results is in the hand of God. Well, Moses has got the rod. Now then he comes to Egypt land and he, le he, he goes before Pharaoh. Now see, I, I got the rock out there in the wilderness a while ago. I wanted to take you where all the rock is whenever they need water. Now I want to go back and bring the rock up or the rod to catch up with the rock, okay? <laughs> Let's do that. Moses went down to Egypt land, walked in the camp, camp. He set his camp up. His wife and two sons set camp up there. And he went down to see Pharaoh. And when he went down to see Pharaoh, of course, Aaron was with him. And when they got down there, Moses said to Pharaoh, I want you to let God's people go. And Pharaoh said, oh, we can't do that. They're our economy. If we, if we let them go, our economy is going to collapse. They're not going to go. So Moses took the rod, or Aaron took the rod, and he threw the rod down. When he did, God touched the rod, and it turned to a snake. And Pharaoh said, well, that ain't nothing. We got demon-possessed people that can do that. That's not a big deal. So he called in the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, and, and all the people there. They threw their rods on the ground, and guess what happened? <laughs> the rod of Aaron. Aaron's, or the, the rod that Aaron threw down on the floor swallowed up all the rest of them. What's that all about? Well, it proves a point. The snake represented sin. Jesus came one time from heaven to deal with all of the sin issue. And when the rod 
gobbled up all the sin issue. He reached down and got it by the tail and it turned back to a rod. Do you understand that? When Jesus came from heaven to this earth, he dealt with all the sin issue. Then he went back to heaven to sit down at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I. That's what the rod is all about in the Word of God. Going to show you that in just a moment of time. Well, they went down to the Red Sea. Now then after they left, they left and oh, could I preach a day and a half on that? <laughs> All the plagues that took place and everything. Can I just hit that just a little bit tonight? Let me just show you something tonight. Sis, don't go there. I'm just going to tell them where this is at. And it's in Exodus chapter 12 where Moses said this is the last plague. The, the, there's going to be death come through the country tonight after midnight and you need to take a lamb from the from the flock and, and, and on the 10th day of Nisan and keep it to the 14th day. Four days there. Lord have mercy. There's prophecy tied up in those four days right there that goes back to Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. But you keep the lamb there at the house four days. And on the 14th day, you're to kill the lamb on the front porch, take the blood from the lamb and apply it to the post of the door. And he said, when the angel comes through, now watch this, when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. What's that all about? Because God set the penalty on sin as death. Death is the penalty of sin. Jesus had to die for sin. Lambs and calves and goats had to die for sin. But when the angel passed through and saw the blood applied to the post of the door, he said, I can't penalize that house because something has already died because I see the evidence of the death on the doorpost. So when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. Why? I can't penalize them the second time. Something has already died there. Something has already died for that house. When I see the blood, he said, I'll pass over you. Well, they left Egypt land under the blood covenant that God had given Moses promise about when I see the blood I'll pass over you I'll spare that house they got down to the Red Sea when they got down to the Red Sea they're about to cross in the deepest part of the sea. Three million Jews strong there, but Moses has the rod of God in his hand. Oh, this represents the word of God. Understand that. It's a representation of the word of God. Now watch this. And and Moses, uh, hear him grumbling and complaining. What are we going to do? We ain't got no boat. There's no bridge. There's no helicopter. There is nothing to help us get through this dilemma. And Moses said, hush, God's talking to me. I love it. You see, the Bible said Moses was the meekest man on the earth. When you study that out, it means tamed to the voice of God. (laughs) This man heard the voice of God concerning everyday dilemmas more than anybody else. He didn't need a cheering section. He didn't need a camera. Nobody had to powder his nose. He just said this, hush, God's saying something to me right now. And God said, 
what you got in your hand? Moses said, well, I've got it marked up pretty good, but it's that rod that you touched here just a, just a few months back. God said, wave it out over the water. He waved the rod out over the water, and God opened the water of the Red Sea. Now listen to me. For three million Jews to pass through in one night's time, and they did. In one night's time, according to the Word of God, they had to pass through there 5,000 abreast. That means that that Red Sea had to open a mile and a half that away, and a mile and a half that away, there was a three-mile hole in the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land in one night's time, and God performed it through Moses. Yeah. They walked across on dry land. That's a big issue, not a little path like Hollywood shows it but a three-mile hole in the Red Sea. Then when they got on the other side, here come Pharaoh. He said, all right, generals, if they can do it, you can do it. Oh, no. <laughs> they wasn't covered by the blood. They can't do it. But he sent his army out there anyway. And here they come. Moses said, what are we going to do? God said, you take the rod. Now listen, God could have done it on his own. But God's not going to do anything without you, and you can't do anything without God. He'll work through you to make things happen. Moses took the rod of God. He waved the water this way and waved it that away, and that three-mile hole closed up in just a matter of seconds. And now then, there's a breach between them and their past. Oh, my Lord. There is a, a breach between their past ordered by a covenant from God. Now they're out there in the wilderness. And while they're out there in the wilderness, God said to Moses while they were grumbling and complaining, Moses said, Lord, we need water. We're out here in the desert, God. We need We need water. God said, do you see that rock over there? Yes. Take the rod that God had touched and smite the rock on the side of the rock. Sis, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me read verse 2, 3, and 4. And watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, I'm reading verse 2, 3, and 4 because it classifies and identifies what we're talking about tonight. Verse number 2, they were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. All did eat the same spiritual meat. Look at verse 4. All did drink the same spiritual drink, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Oh, get down. That rock was Christ. And not only did that rock appear, it followed them. You know what that means? The 40 years they were in the wilderness, they drank from the rock, and that rock was Christ. Moses took the rod of God. And he smote the rod on the, rod on the side of the rock and water came out of the rock. What, what, what is that all about? Water 
is symbolism of the word, same as the rod is. But sin showed up in the Garden of Eden and God changed the rod to a serpent that represented sin. You remember Isaiah 53? Go to Isaiah 53 and, and let's read some of that. Let's start in verse number one. Isaiah 53 beginning in verse number one. Now watch this because this will connect with what we're talking about tonight. Isaiah 53 verse number one. Who hath believed our report, to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? He shall grow up before him as a tender plant and a root out of the dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness that no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised, oh, I love this. Watch this. He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrow acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he had borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did him. Yet we did esteem him. How did we esteem him? We, we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. What is that smitten of God talking about? It started in Exodus and it come through the word of God. When Moses smote the rock, Isaiah prophesied the rock was symbolism that they would be a savior that would be smitten on the cross of Calvary. John, St. John chapter 19 and verse 34. Watch this verse of scripture here. It connects it and ties it together. John chapter 19 verse 34. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side. Watch this now. For with there came out blood and water. Did you catch that? that there came out blood and water wow now go to Ephesians chapter 5 Ephesians chapter 5 look, let me look here verse 25 and verse number 26 25 God compares the church to a marriage 26 he opens it up in the sanctification verse 25 watch this Ephesians 5 verse 25 he said husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it now look at verse 26. He compared it to a marriage, verse 26. He's talking about the sanctification of the church. He said that he may sanctify it and cleanse it. How's he going to do that? With the washing of water by the word. Water is symbolism of the word. From the side of Jesus flowed blood and water. Why water? Watch this now. Go to St. John chapter number one. Let's start in verse number one. I don't know how much of this we'll read, but let's just read it tonight. All right. St. John chapter one, verse number one. In the beginning was the word, W-O-R-D. And the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him is life. Life is the light of man. And the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Let's save a little time. Skip over there on the other side of the page to verse 14. Now watch this. Verse number 14. He said and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory as 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 1 said, in the beginning was the Word. Verse number 14 said, and that Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus was the Word of the living God coming down from heaven. What's all of that about? Sir, it goes back to the rod that smoked the rock and water came forth. The Word sustained the Israelites in the wilderness when they didn't even know it was happening. And the Bible said that rock followed them. I don't know if it scooted. I don't know if it rolled. I don't know if it appeared and reappeared and disappeared. But I know it followed them because the Word said it did. Can't you imagine? Mama's carrying a two-year-old on her hip and got a four-year-old by the hand. They're walking across the desert. And the four-year-old looks up at Mama and said, Mama, I'm thirsty. She looks back and here comes that big rock. <laughs> she said, Son, there'll be water in the camp tonight. <laughs> oh, do you understand the rock and the rod came together for the goodness of the sakes of the Israelite people? Jesus is our rock. Psalms chapter 18, verse number 2. Now watch this. Understand the word here tonight. Church, I'm dying to keep from spurring off on this because you could go five different ways with this right now, right here. But in Psalms 18, verse number 2, he said, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, whom will I trust? My buckler, the horn of my salvation, and my high tower. Jesus is the rock. Understand that. In Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. Matthew 16, verse number 18. Now, Jesus is speaking to Peter here. He said, I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Did you catch that? On this rock. And a lot of people think he was talking to Peter as the rock. That's not it at all. I'll tell you what. Scroll back up there. Let's start in verse 13. Bring it down to verse number 18 tonight. Now look at this because I want to show you something tonight from the Word of God. Verse 13. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, Whom do men say that I the Son of man out. And they said, some say thou art John the Baptist, or Elias, or Elias that's Elijah, or Jeremiah, one of the promise, <laughs> prophets. But Jesus said, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I will build my church. What's he talking about? The confession that Peter made of who Christ was. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What does that mean for you and I? When you confess him to be Lord, it doesn't make any difference what denomination you're from. You're part of the church of the living God, saved by grace through faith. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. Oh, let me stop right there and just give you a little nugget. 
Bar means son of. That's how they identified each other in that day and time. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. They didn't have any last names. If I'd have been living then and said, bless you, Dean, son of Harold, that's how I would have been identified. Now, let me show you something. You remember we set Barabbas that was exchange for Jesus? Break that word down, Barabbas. He was a preacher's kid, son of a father. Oh, how fitting is that? Jesus was the son of the Holy Father, and the exchange was made for a son of a priest, Barabbas. But they felt Jesus' name was so holy, they identified him as son of a priest. Just thought I'd throw that out there. That's a good Easter message. You know, we, here we are in October, and I'm still not done with Easter. I'm still not done with it. <clears throat> Understand, the rock was Christ. And he said, on this rock, upon this confession, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let me show you how important you are. I preached this thought in this last revival, the first of the week, down south, of, I guess it would be south of here. Athens, Murchison, down in that area. But let, let me just, because I feel like somebody here is reaching out and you need to know this. You see, he said the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. A gate in the Western culture is something that, a gap, something on hinges, a door to keep something out or to keep something in. But in the eastern country, a gate is the mayor's office or the, or the office where they made decisions for the town. Now, let me show you that from the word of God because I don't want you to take my word for that. Take God's word on it, all right? Put up Genesis 19 and 1. Genesis, I'm going to give you several here, sis, where we can establish something, all right? Genesis chapter 19 and 1. Look at this. Lot set in the gate of Sodom. Now, Exodus chapter 32, verse 26. Exodus 32, verse number 26. Now, look at this. This is important to see here. Exodus 32, and verse 26. Moses stood in the gate of the camp. Ruth, chapter 4, verse number 1. The book of Ruth, chapter 4, verse number 1. Just going to establish this, and then I want to tell you something tonight, all right? In Ruth, chapter 4, or verse 1, went Boaz up to the gate and set him down. Daniel, chapter 2, verse 49. Daniel, yes, Daniel, chapter 2, verse number 49. Now watch this. Understand the writings of these passages of Scripture here. Look at it very carefully tonight. Daniel, watch this. In the last part, but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. Now, that's enough said tonight to establish them. It was where strategy for the town was made. So when Jesus said upon the 
confession of your faith. I'm going to make you part of a church that the strategy of hell will not destroy. Whatever the devil comes up against you, whatever he's planning, your God is not running around in heaven biting his fingernails, twisting his hair, wondering what the devil's up to. But before the devil ever strikes, before the demons of hell are ever dispatched against you, your God of heaven knows you're part of the church of the living redeemed and he has a plan for you. Or oh, you follow me tonight, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I remember when I had COVID so bad and I was in the hospital and nurse come in and she's talking all this, you know, and, and she said, I said, well, how am I doing? She said, well, you actually need to be on a ventilator. I said, no, I done told you, we're not going there. She said, well, if it goes any lower, you'll be out where you, can, where you won't have no decision. I said, listen to me, ma'am, you can't threaten me with heaven. I'm telling you, you can't threaten me with heaven. I know enough about it to know that it's real. It has a purpose and it is living alive in my heart and my spirit. What am I trying to say? We're on the winning side. We're on the winning side. Now let me close this out by blessing you tonight with something that I want you to understand. I talked about earlier when you let God touch something in your life, then God has a great interest in that thing. Now I want you to put the word on this and help you. I want to encourage you. When you walk out this door tonight, I want you on the on cloud 19 with a bottom of 20 in your hand. You, you understand that? I want you to realize how important you are in the kingdom of God because the church has gone through a very discouraging time in the last year or so. We've seen people die that we knew, that was family, that we loved, that loved God with all of their heart. Now I want to show you something. Some of you who come to church tonight, you're the only one in your house living for God. Only one. You go home tonight, you're facing things that if you had an alternative, you would take the alternative. But you're facing things. But I want to show you something by the word of God. As long as God's got one person in that household, you are entitled to the covenant of God. Let me show you that scripturally. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 14. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband, else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now let me read that in Arkansas language. All right? The unsaved husband is now under a sanctified covenant because his wife loves Jesus. And the unsaved wife is now under sanctified covenant by her husband because he loves Jesus. And not only that, your children are becoming holy. Wow. Preacher, what does that mean? Everybody in your household is entitled to the blessings of God because you live there. Yeah. 
Preacher, how do you know that? I'm going to show you this from the Word of God. Genesis chapter 39, verse number 2. Then I'll do 3 and then verse 5. Genesis 39, verse number 2. This is when Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house. Now watch this. The Lord was with Joseph. Oh, that gave me a goosebump. Look at verse 3. His master saw that the Lord was with him. His master, that identifies him as a slave. But look at verse 5. In the middle of that verse of scripture, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And that Egyptian was an idolater. He worshiped the sun god. Pastor Mike, God looked down and said, he can't change his circumstance. I'm not going to let him suffer because of that. So I'm going to bless the old dude that goes every Sunday and worships the sun god so Joseph can receive the blessing. Oh, wow. While we're in Genesis, let's pick up another one. Go back to chapter 30. Genesis 30 and, um, let me look, uh, Verse 27, Genesis chapter 30, verse number 27. This is when father-in-law had come up, caught up with son-in-law. Look what he said. Laban said unto him, I pray thee if they have found favor in thy eyes, because he said, I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Oh, get down. You know what that means? Mama, daddy, listen to me. You may have a house full of rebellion. I don't know that. But when you put that key in the door tonight and you start home before you cross that threshold, look at that door facing. And say, I just can't see it physically, but I know spiritually there's some blood applied there. This house is blessed because I live here. Now listen to me. Don't go home and start a fight tonight. Don't go in there and look at that bunch and say, hey guys, you don't know it, but you're blessed because I'm here. But if it'll help you, go out back and say it. God will bless you because the covenant is real, but you know how it works? You've got to accept it and believe it. And I'm going to tell you, you'll win your family quicker to God by living in the covenant than you will in despair. We don't have a rod anymore, but we have the word. The word of the almighty God of heaven. Would you bow your heads with me, please, tonight? They're coming to help me in this altar service tonight. I don't know everybody's situation, but I do know I made two or three detours in this message tonight that I had not planned at all. That's one reason, and I got nothing against it. I have notes at home, but I memorized them. But I had rather preach without notes where I can detour where I need to detour. I hate it when I have to do seminars and have assignments. 
because you've got to stick with the program like that. But tonight I feel God is trying to do something powerful in this place tonight. The rod and the rock. I'm going to give this altar service in different orders tonight. Let me get this rod up out of the way where somebody won't trip over it. Let me see behind you. How many here need God to touch something in your life? You need God to touch something in your life. I want to see your hand. Hands are going up. 